0: NCAA quarterfinal edition of the quintessential podcast. We got our first two timer. That would be Chris Cotter, play-by-play man for ESPN, who's going to be calling the quarterfinals out in the in the horseshoe on Sunday. He's got uh, Cornell, Delaware, and then Maryland, Virginia. Cotter, I want to go back to last week. You had you had quite a little run there for about a ten day period.
1: Quite a little run or quite a little drive. Uh, I mean, we had that. Well, that. End of the 10 day period, but you're right. I mean, we were all over the place. Had uh, what do we have? Yale and Harvard. Then we went uh, went down to do Duke at uh, North Carolina with you, where we had a rain delay forever. Uh, Then the following week, I had to do haul it up to Notre Dame to do Notre Dame and Duke, which was an amazing game. Uh, then back for the selection show on Sunday, PLL draft on Tuesday to the two games last week, which included new Haven for Yale and Penn, which is one of the best, I mean, not Penn, uh, St. Joe's, one of the best games I've ever seen. And then driving four and a half hours to Ithaca to do that game in Cornell, which also had a lightning delay that caused all of us to miss our flights that night.
0: There are people in the business who say, I, they pay me to travel. And, and I'll work for free. You know, I, I think my uh, tombstone someday will say, you know, here lies Quint. He's got 750,000 Southwest points and 11 free rental car days from, from National.
1: It was amazing. So, uh, yeah, I uh, had to stay at a Syracuse Airport hotel and then get up at five o'clock in the morning on, uh, on Monday and fly back. And then my Uber driver went the wrong way when uh, I was going home from the airport in Atlanta. So I was like, that's perfect just take me down the wrong way down the highway and a uh, perfect ending to this weekend. But it's been a whirlwind, but it's been great lacrosse. And I mean, it sets up an interesting quarters. And you know, Q, think about this. You know, you were talking about Delaware and Cornell and Delaware sprung the big surprise last weekend, but that sets up just all kinds of different maturations as far as storylines with Ben DeLuca and you know, taking on his former player in Connor Busick and guys that they, those two know each other really well. And the way Ben DeLuca's tenure at Cornell came to an end about seven, eight years ago. So there are a lot of great storylines with that Delaware upset of Georgetown.
0: Yeah. Before we get there, I, I want to go back to the uh, PLL draft on Tuesday. Were there any stories uh, or things that you left on the table or things that maybe the viewer, I watched the whole show that the viewer kind of missed out on.
1: Well, the, the, the- Cool thing I thought, and this is this will be really behind the scenes kind of stuff. Is you know all of these coaches get there earlier in the day, and so we're all just kind of hanging out in the green room, and it's pretty cool. It's really some of them I've I met before, some of them I hadn't, but I hadn't really had any time to interact with any of them, any of the eight coaches over any any period of time. So I thought it was great to to learn a lot more about them. Um, some of the things I think a lot of people don't realize is even coaches of the top professional lacrosse league in the world have multiple jobs. You know what I'm saying? Like they're coaching high school. They're talking about the other games they're coaching. They're coaching about some of the other things they're doing in the off season. So uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things where you're doing two and three different things. Uh, You're not, you're not making, you know, the, the NFL coaching salaries in the PLL. So you're doing other things to make ends meet. I thought that was really cool to, to hear their stories and what they were doing. And the other thing, Q, When they all they all got into the green room there at ESPN at different times and the love and respect that those coaches have for each other is I was really surprised at that. They really, really like each other and enjoy each other's company and were really happy to see each other after all the time off. And I was like, man, any other professional sports league coaches getting together in this green room? I don't think you're going to see that kind of love.
0: That's awesome to hear. Uh, before we preview your, your two quarters, Cotter, uh, like take me back to Yale St. Joe's. You're walking out of there. What, what were some takeaways? Maybe, again, what were things that the viewer didn't see that you did or stories maybe that that didn't get told that you wanted to tell?
1: Yeah, I'll say this. Walking out of there, I was having to take a deep breath. I mean, that game was wall yeah. to oh, wall. That, that,
0: third, that, that third quarter, I've never seen oh. anything like that. I mean, no. honestly, it felt like there was a goal every 30 seconds for about six to ten minutes.
1: And you were thinking – you looked at the numbers and you thought, Zach Cole, and it really is true, his first face-off of the game all year long, he was under 50%. Then he got better as the game progressed. And in the second half, his numbers, you know, he, he, forget about leading the nation in face-off percentage, he was like 70% in the second half of games this past year, just dominating. He got stronger. He's so good at making adjustments to what his opponent is doing. Uh, and so I thought it was amazing that – Yale comes out with ball and he starts winning most of the faceoffs, and all the momentum goes to Yale's way. You thought, I mean, think about this Q. If I'd have told you St. Joe's is within two goals in the fourth quarter and you got Zach Cole with make it, take it and preventing Yale from going on any runs. I would have thought that St. Joe's would have won that game. And instead, I, it, was yeah. easy, it, was, it was the exact opposite. It was Yale winning the faceoffs, making runs and making the plays down the stretch and not, you know, I don't, because there's so many young players on these Ivy League teams, even though there are some players with experience, I can't really chalk it up that, that last turnover that really cost St. Joe's. Uh, you know, you can't chalk it up to experience because even Yale doesn't have a whole lot of experience in postseason.
0: Yeah, St. Joe's, they're, they're, the Hawks are a likable bunch, and I think they're going to be around uh, in terms of being, being a, a league champion for a while. But well, who, who could have predicted that James Ball would go, what, uh, 8 of 12 in the yes. last – Uh, in the the last segments of that game. Yale's offense continues to just roll. They're scoring goals every week now. The defense (laughs) of that team is pretty shaky, I tell you. They're giving up a lot of goals.
1: You know, you think about it, and you start to scratch your head when you look at some of these Ivy League teams, because really all six of them, Q, that made this tournament, the calling card was on offense for all of them. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you you think about, I mean, Cornell.
0: Yeah, Cotter, I got it right here. Uh, offense. Princeton, fifth in the nation. Yale, sixth in the nation. Cornell, 23rd. Penn, 29th. Defense. Yale, 54th. Cornell, 33rd. Princeton, 29. Penn's Penn's good at at 23. So it's definitely offensive loaded. And then face-off. Face-off play's not strong. Uh, Princeton's at 50%. Penn's below 50%. Cornell's at 45%.
1: Which is... It's,
0: it's, fun, to, to, to it's, that, it's fun. It's a fun style to watch.
1: To that point, it's, you know, Cornell has Gavin Adler, who was the only unanimous inside lacrosse first team All-American from a close defenseman's perspective. So he is phenomenal. And he was on Myers last week against Ohio State. But Ohio State goes up four to nothing in that game in Ithaca in the first quarter. And it's an Ohio State team that's deceptively good on offense, average 14 goals a game. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, they're hot. They're on the road. They want to make uh, amends for the loss earlier in the year in Ithaca. And they have an Anasio, who was just drafted into the PLL. So he's going to own the faceoff X moving forward. It's going to be very difficult for Cornell to pull themselves out of this hole. So what do they do? Petraka starts winning faceoffs. He owns the second and third quarter at the faceoff dot. And you have a Syracuse team that shuts down Ohio State offensively after giving up four in the first quarter. It's bizarre, Cornell, the way they play after the first quarter all season long. Their numbers are ridiculous. They give up a ton of goals. They're way down in the first quarter all year, and then they find a way to finally start the engine in the second quarter, and it's exactly what they did Sunday.
0: Back up a tad. How did you get from New Haven to Ithaca? What was that ride like? There's not a straight shot there, is there?
1: No, it's all country roads. It's really one of the – I've been to – Oneonta and Cooperstown there, and obviously Syracuse and Central New York, but never, this is my first trip ever to Ithaca, and you're coming from New Haven, so you're, you're basically going through south, the southern part of the state of New York, and, and crossing over into the Finger Lakes region there, and yeah, it's, once you get off the highway to about Middletown, you're just going through country roads and two-lane roads in the middle of the night. Clark and I and uh, John Kettering are coordinating producer for lacrosse at ESPN. We stopped in Danbury at Pepe's and got a couple of pies. And so, you know, Kettering's driving on these country roads in this big Ford Explorer with his feet, trying to eat pizza. You know, Pepe's is like really thin crust, greasy pizza, and he's trying to fold it so he can eat it without spilling it all over himself. And I was like, well, at least if we, you know, careen off the road and crash, I'm gonna die with a slice of Pepe's pizza in my hand. So it could be a lot worse.
0: Ohio State jumps on Cornell. Cornell uh, dominated the second and third quarter, and Connor Busick uh, advances the big red. What was the scene like?
1: Well, it started off. It was like record heat. You know, you know the way it is up there. It's winter until it's not. So it's like winter, and then it it goes right into summer, and that's exactly what it was. It was like eighty three degrees up there, and so you started thinking this is like perfect spring thunderstorm weather and that's what happened we got thunderstorms so you had a decent crowd and i was actually surprised that they waited around long enough because it was a serious storm that blew through there and we had about an hour and a half delay once we got started back again in the beginning of the second quarter we had a pretty good pretty good group of folks that came back to watch but it was almost a tale of two games you know ohio state came out of that break and it was it was there was a little foreshadowing because we had the camera Right on Coach Myers, shaking his head. He did not want that, that weather delay at all. And then when his team came back, they were flat. And that's when, when Cornell made their run. Interesting.
0: You know, weather delays, I always think, favor the home team. You know, they got their home locker room, their home equipment guy. They, they got all the supplies. They're a little more comfortable. Uh, I didn't get to watch any of that game because the delay puts you on top of, of the Rutgers game. But we, we, we were talking about Michelle Kirst. Uh, the mom of CJ and the mom yes. of Connor uh, and, and we, were, we were trying to figure out where would she go would she go up to Ithaca to watch CJ the the sophomore slash first year player I'm not really sure how to quantify that or would she stay with Connor the, the goalie at Rutgers uh, CJ had, they both had great days but C, CJ had some uh, some huge numbers what, what did he do well
1: he had, well, he set a re- he tied a record for um, Cornell in terms of goals in an NCAA tournament game, seven goals. Um, and really the thing when you think about his game against Ohio State, it was a little bit of everything. You know, he was, uh, you know, step down shooting. He was moving without the ball. He was doing everything with this team. And, and Clark, to, to give him credit, in the first quarter when they were down four to nothing, he was just like screaming from the mountaintop, get the ball. In the cursed stick, get it into Michael Long's long stick so he can be the party starter. You got to the attack has to run this offense, or they're not going to do anything. And sure enough, they did. And you know, Curse did it in every way you could imagine in terms of scoring uh, to get those seven goals. And the other, you know, an interesting part about this game: a ton of long balls. I don't know if you saw any of the highlights, but
0: oh, yeah, the, the the ten the ten man ride now seems yeah. to seems to have found a solution.
1: Yeah, Gallagher scored, uh, you know, about a three-quarter length goal for Ohio State. And then Erlen chucked it up the field, and it just deflected off of uh, Piatelli's cross into the and had some English, so it spun into the goal. But, yeah, all game long, that, that was both of these teams' solution to that 10-man ride, just chuck it downfield, And they got a couple of goals at it.
0: So you missed your flight, I'm guessing. I-
1: D- yeah, disaster. Once we had that long rain delay, I missed my flight. Uh, Kettering and a bunch of the crew that were going to Charlotte made their flights by about a minute. I mean, they were hauling to get there. They got there. Uh, spot our uh, stats guy, Russ, and I, no chance. We had to stay at an airport there at the, uh, at the Syracuse airport and take the first flight back Monday morning. Ooh, that's rough. That's yeah, rough. rough.
0: Have you had a chance to plug in any of the Delaware or Georgetown game yet?
1: Yeah, I watched it. Um, you know, Georgetown coming into that game, obviously, you know about all the firepower they have on offense, but you also know about how stingy they are. I mean, the number one defense in the country coming into this tournament and Delaware was their match. I mean, Kilterian goal for Delaware was outstanding. He had nine saves in the first half, 14 in the game. He had a couple of spectacular saves to kind of prevent Georgetown from going on any type of a big run. And then, you know, Owen Grant's the stopper. He's a big physical defenseman who uh, can also run like the wind. I mean, he's like a tight end out there. He gets out in the break, and he's going to want to get some offense going. He's not sticking back. You know, if you're if you're a midi, you better, better be looking for him because he's going to go on the offensive side of the field every time that there's a change in possess- possession. So I thought that was impressive. Uh, I thought Premtage did a nice enough job against um, O'Reilly at the faceoff X just to win, you know, a little bit about 40, 45% of the draws. And then you saw the behind the back from Mike Robinson. I mean, there's a real Canadian flair uh, on this team with Kurtz and Robinson at that attack spot. Uh, And so, you know, I I think that they, they sort of take what the other team gives them and make the most of their opportunities. They're not a team that's going to score 15, 16, 17 goals in a game, but I think they can hang with Cornell because as we've talked about it just Cornell's defensive deficiencies might be able to get Delaware enough goals to make it a close game.
0: Yeah, I, I wasn't able to watch, but I was driving home, and I had it on the app, so it was basically like a radio call from, from Jay and, and, and Coach Zim. And, you know, Delaware never let Georgetown spurt out to more than a really a two-goal lead. They got off to a good start, which I think is always important in those games when you're the underdog. Uh, Prentage hung, t- hung tough with Riley. Right. And Kilkeary sounded like he did well. Uh, I, I I was just you know the comeback like the momentum changed and it felt like the pressure swung on Georgetown as the higher seed as the home team like like you know they had the two goal lead in the ball with four minutes to go and they 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 take a bad shot and then all of a sudden the behind the back and I don't know it just felt like yeah the mo- the momentum uh, was was dramatically shifted to
1: to Delaware yeah I'm watching that game too and I don't know. He sounds like he's kind of felt the same way. I thought Georgetown was going to win it until the very end. I mean, even when, even when Delaware scored with eight seconds left, I thought Riley's going to win this faceoff. quick offense. They're going to tie the game and send it into overtime. I thought eight seconds was like against that type of a faceoff, man, you might be leaving too much time on the clock, but even to the end, I thought Georgetown's going to win and they didn't make the plays and Delaware made all the plays in the final four minutes of the game.
0: You got to credit them. You know, they, they, they beat St. Joe's early. They beat Johns Hopkins. They had that three-game skid in the middle of the season. And then since then, they've gotten better face-off play, better goaltending. They've held four straight opponents to single digits. And, you know, that doesn't sound like much, but honestly, in the shot clock era, that's really good. If yeah. you if you hold a team to less than 10 goals nowadays, you should win like 98% of those games. So credit to Coach DeLuca. I spoke to Coach uh, to Coach Dave Petromala uh, for a podcast that's going to air uh, th- this week, also on Lax All Stars, Dave, when he took the Cornell job, was actually interviewed by Ben Deluca, who was a student at the time, st- a player on the team. Deluca mm-hmm. would be his first captain at Cornell. So, Deluca, former player, former head coach there, now with Delaware—that's a big storyline.
1: Seventeen years, Deluca was there as a uh, as a player, as an assistant coach, as a head coach, and in- by the way, the three years he was a head coach there, they had success. I mean, that was, Music was a player for him. Pennell was a player, I think one year uh, in that, that I might, be, might be mistaken on that one. But you think about that, that's, he had a lot of success in those three years. And then it was, you know, a very unceremonious parting of ways for somebody that had given so much to the school. Don't you agree with that Q?
0: Yeah, I do. I do. And, and obviously we, we, we don't know details. We, we don't know specifics. It, it just doesn't smell very good.
1: No, it, it, the way it, it was so, um, so cloudy, you know, there wasn't any clarity. There wasn't any clarity from the administration. Because uh, if you remember, even back when it happened to Luca was like, I'm not exactly sure why. They had the hazing incident early in the fall. And then a couple months later, he's let go. But he's landed on his feet. I mean, you and I got to spend a lot of time with him in, in the Tanya when he was there uh, on Dino's staff for Team USA. And, and obviously, think about him replacing Schillinglaw, too, uh, at Delaware. Schillinglaw, who had been there, I mean, f- over 500 games since 1979. He leaves, and his last few years were not very good uh, with the Blueheads. They were a non-factor. And then DeLuca comes in. Last year, they were regular season champs. This year, they win the tournament. So he's really got them skyrocketing in the right direction.
0: That's a quarterfinal number one, you and uh, Ryan Boyle and Katie George under the guidance of TJ, our producer, uh, then then get to, to televise what could be the game of the year in Maryland and Virginia a rematch of uh, a game in uh, what, March 19th at Audi Field in DC where Maryland just steamrolled Virginia 23 to 12 to rematch the national championship game last year. Kind of shocking that this game's got to be played at the quarterfinals, but uh, it is what it is. And uh, everyone's going to be watching.
1: Yeah. You know, we, you and I, you and I and Clark both had Virginia the next game after that Maryland game. And if you remember talking to uh, Lars about that, he said, they just, you know, last, last year when we won the title against them, we were the bar you know, and everybody had to meet us two time champions in a row. And he said, now, after this game, Maryland has raised the bar to a whole new level that everybody now has to play to. And we found out how, how far underneath that bar we are. So my question is how much can they, how much can they make up, you know, in that space, how much can they get closer to that bar here in the last two months or whatever it has been since they last played? I don't know. I mean, I I don't know this is probably the premier game of this whole tournament so far, but I still don't know how close Virginia is to Maryland.
0: It's a good point. You know, uh, I remember that specifically and, and Lars pointed to some things that had, had to, had to improve off of that game. Uh, I thought Maryland ran on them. They scored four or five transition goals. And and that, that's been an issue. That's been a, you know, a a signature of the Maryland team. I, I, I counted, more than 30 goals from non-defensive personnel uh, between Luke Weirman, Geppert, Bubba Fairman. They, they they just turn all those uh, transitional moments in, in, into positives. And then how's Virginia going to defend Maryland? I think that's the big question mark here. Maryland's motion offense has been unstoppable. People have not tried gimmicky stuff against them. They've, we've, they've rarely attacked the zone. I, I know Syracuse did a little zone early in the year. And you look back, the, the two teams that had success against Maryland's offense have been Notre Dame uh, and Syracuse quite honestly Syracuse held them the 14 in week one and that turns out to be a great number below their season average of uh, 18.5 goals so uh, I'm expecting Virginia to throw a little more variety of defense at Maryland
1: yeah here's the other thing too that I would have thought it might have this time of year you know both teams have pretty good depth but nobody has the depth that Maryland has and if it would have been a really hot day, maybe that, that plays in their favor. You think about guys like – I mean, their second midfield line. Owen Murphy has 28 goals this year. I know some of those have been in, in you know, garbage time in fourth quarter when they had the big lead. But, you know, it's just – to me, it's like you look at that and you say to yourself, these guys can just throw waves and waves of talented offensive players at you. Even Bubba Fairman. You know, you, you have a two-way guy who can score goals. Uh, so, I'm, But it's going to be cool. It's going to be pretty cool on that day, so I don't know if that's going to have any kind of an impact.
0: Yeah, it starts with face-offs. Weirman against LaSala. Uh, Weirman beat him up pretty good in that game in Audi, Audi field. I think if you're Virginia, you got to you got to throw multiple defenses at, at them, whether it's a zone, whether it's a, a no-slide defense, whether you throw in some shutoffs, something to make Maryland uncomfortable because if they're not uncomfortable, they've been a buzzsaw. I mean, it's just a complete destruction in their yes. motion offense layups and layups in the second midfield, and then you make a mistake in in, in a sub and, and Puglisi scores in transition.
1: So yeah, I think- if, how, about, how about this, Q? I was just thinking, too, you, with, with such a strong midfield in Donville and, and Long and DeMayo. one thing we talked a lot about in Virginia's runs to the two national titles that I don't – we just haven't talked that much about it, and I know they still have some talent there, short stick D middies. You know, you think about that. And that really, I'll just say the rope unit in general. Virginia was always so athletic and was on you. Uh, I, I know Soliday's an outstanding player and Danny Parker's been banged up. He's, he, I think he's healthy now. So maybe he has that speed back and Jack Keel, but I think that's, that's kind of an area to look at. Don't you think we haven't, but yet that, that was such a signature for them in their championship runs. It's not the same this year. And that would be huge in this game, obviously.
0: I agree. And I think that's where the pen, pendulum has has swung. So, because of that, I think Virginia has to win face-offs. And I think Matt Noon's the freshman goalie for the Cavs has to play well. And, and uh, you know, Virginia's got to be a little more multiple on, on defense. Uh, can Virginia score on Maryland? Yeah, probably. You know, I mean, yeah. Schellenberger and Matt Moore uh, are going to put pressure on, on everybody. Uh, I, I think the question more comes down to the complementary parts. You know, uh, does Maryland put a shorty on Peyton Cormier? Do they, you know, get a poll on Griffin Schutz?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh How does Sean Kerwin react to what he sees and, 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 and who becomes the main catalyst for Virginia? Is it Jeff Connor behind the goal with Schellenberger? Is it Moore? Uh, what matchups do, does Virginia pick on? And can they get guys like Pete Garneau some good looks? You know, can they get Maryland moving and exploit the inside to Dixon or, or to Cormier? And can they get some transition of their own? Uh, yeah, and, and then you know, does their does their ride have any bite? Because last time they played Maryland, it didn't. You know, can Virginia effectively ride ten man, or do they say now nah, we're not going to get in the riding business here because they ran on us last time? So let's just get off the field and get our defensive personnel on, and we'll and we'll trade possessions.
1: Yeah, you, you think you, you think about that too with Bagleyse and Higgins against a guy like Xander Dixon. So here's here's a midfielder is like kind of like an X factor, you know. He's a, he's a midi slash attack. It's kind of positionless offense when you, got, when you got him out there. He's like a fourth attack. And so if, to your point, who are you going to pull? If you don't pull Xander Dixon, you know, the Slim Reaper then is going to run around like a, like a water bug, and you're going to have Puglisi and Higgins, or Higgins chasing him around, I would imagine Puglisi probably chasing him around all day long.
0: Maryland's played in this stadium. It, it's, it's a, I don't want to say odd or funky. It's just a different feel for a lacrosse game, because it's, it is, it is gigantic. I mean, it's 110,000. Uh, it's good for the fans who sit on the far side. They have a nice view, but for the players, it's a little different because it's cavernous. Uh, and how many so you got that. So, so Maryland's got a slight advantage because they've been there, done that. They'll be a little more comfortable with that. But I think that the burden of pressure maybe, maybe has shifted, you know, from Virginia, they lose that regular season game. They let it get out of control. I, I don't look at that final score 23 to 12 and really put much credence on it. I know Maryland's a four and a half goal favorite. I I thought the the, the spread, although we shouldn't don't bet on it, but I, I thought the spread in this game should be around two and a half or three.
1: Yeah. It's it, a lot of that too. I think there's a little bit of, you know, did, did Schellenberger do enough against Brown to convince you that he's close to a hundred percent healthy. You know, I think that's, that's something to keep an eye on. And the same thing with when you talk about PD LaSalle, he's been banged up really the last month of the year. And, you remember the game we did, the Syracuse game? That was the one game the year before where Fopp really had his number, okay? And LaSalle came into that game. You know that was on his bulletin board all year long. And he dusted Fopp for Syracuse, sort of in a retribution game. Maybe it's a similar type thing for him in this game against Wehrman, assuming that he's healthy enough to get that done.
0: Yeah, that'll be. but neither team is, is, uh, really has a viable Fogo number two, you know they've they've both been heavily reliant on their top guy and
1: yeah well it's La- it's who it's Gavin Ty for uh for Maryland so I mean Gavin Ty
0: a former Virginia transfer and maybe he's got yes. some insider knowledge too right uh that that that's been helping the Terps in terms of uh the success they had against LaSalle during during the uh, regular season it should be a good one uh, Logan McNaney, certainly a, a playoff tested for for Maryland between the pipes uh, Terps really without any obvious weaknesses no. they've, they've, they've 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 steamrolled like uh you know they get by this game we'll be talking about them in terms of some all-time teams I, I think in connecticut you know i think we'll put their resume and their stats and their dominance up against uh other dynasties whether it's the princeton of the late 90s whether it's syracuse whether it's some of the hopkins teams of the mid 80s or cornell of the late 70s uh or even carolina the early 80s when they went back to back and didn't lose a game for two years this this team is is in that that echelon right now if they can win this game.
1: Yeah, I, I think they're that good and that deep. And to your point, very there are no weaknesses at all on this team. The only thing is, you just all you have to do is point to that Georgetown game. Nobody would have thought that Delaware having to play the the opening round game would have come in there and beaten Georgetown. Remember when the brackets came out? What was the first sentiment that you and I and Clark had when we first saw them that Sunday was, "Wow, Georgetown." And Coach Warren—they have to be really happy with their half of the bracket. They have the—they have the easier run, certainly than probably anybody, given the fact that Virginia was staring at Maryland right there in, in the quarterfinal round. And lo and behold, they can't even get out of the first round.
0: Isn't that unbelievable? The way that works yeah. in sports, right? <laughs> it really, it is. Well, the quarterfinals are here Saturday at Hofstra. We got Penn and Rutgers, Princeton and Yale. Chris will be in. Uh, the Horseshoe in Ohio with Ryan Boyle and Katie George, former uh, Louisville volleyball player and Miss Kentucky uh, with TJ. Hey, TJ, just play that song. You keep me dancing. TJ, the producer in the shoe should be good. Bring your binoculars, Cotter.
1: No doubt about it. My binoculars. I'm going to have some Cincinnati chili though. I'll be ready to go. We'll
0: enjoy it on ESPNU. Safe travels. Hope it goes smoother, Chris.
1: All right, bro. Talk to you next week then.